Thank you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We are now continuing with Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Shulman. Hi, this is Roy Shulman, and welcome again to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates a fulfillment, the full realization of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. As I like to say, the Catholic Church is actually post-Messianic Judaism. It's the continuation of Judaism after the coming of the Jewish Messiah, who was Jesus, who then transformed the relationship between God and man and certainly transformed the sacramental relationship between God and man and actually transformed pretty much everything uh, when he came, and which was in fact the, the central event of human existence. So anyway, so welcome to post-Messianic Judaism. Anyway, um, one of the joys of, of being in the Catholic Church is having the church calendar and the all of the feast days and all of the saints and the commemoration of the saints. And we have just come from a week which has been rather spectacular in the saints who were um, celebrated. And so I thought I would spend today... Um, dwelling on some of the wisdom and knowledge that we have gotten from the writings of those saints. So, um, let's see. So, we had, um, depending on which calendar you use, the old calendar or the new calendar, the Trinitine calendar or the Novus Ordo calendar, in the past week, we have had the feast day of um, St. Therese of Lisieux, the little flower, and St. Francis, and St. Faustina, and St. Bruno. St. Bruno, the founder of the Carthusian Order. So I thought today might be a little bit of a potpourri with some readings from um, those various saints. Probably most of the show will revolve around St. Faustina and her writings, but um, uh, not all of the show. I also want to introduce some writings from those other saints. So... I'm actually going to start with um, St. Bruno, the founder of the Carthusians. He's probably one of the lesser known of those four saints to most of the audience. Uh, He lived in the very tail end of the 11th century, beginning of the 12th century. And he was a contemplative, a deeply contemplative. That is, you can think of a hermit, you can think of somebody who lives in silence and nature and uh, in continual, or an attempt at continual intimate communion with God in that state of silence. But um, enough other men gathered around him that he ended up forming several communities of hermit monks, which over time became what we know of as the Carthusian order, which still exists. Now, I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to start by reading a... um, meditation, I don't know what to call it, a, a kind of a, a, a morsel of wisdom from a more or less contemporary Carthusian, which captures the spirituality. And I hope it'll be apparent why I'm reading this, but uh, hmm, how can I put this? When we look out in the world today, we see a tremendous amount of evil And it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get discouraged. And it's easy to kind of, um, on the one hand, ask, where is God in this and why isn't he doing something? And on the other hand, it's easy simply to get disheartened. 
Um, and so I want to read this extract because it seems to me to be the antidote to how... Let me re start that sentence over again. It seems to be the formula for how we should respond when we see what looks like evil prevailing all around us. Uh, and you'll have to forgive me because I'm, I'm reading this from the French and um, translating as I go along, so I might stumble a bit. One must look life, true life, in the face. It is this deep and prolonged look which will give us God, because God is at the bottom of everything. Everything which is, is because he has willed it or permitted it. And if the evil permitted by God frightens us, we must tell ourselves that at the bottom of this evil there is a good, and it's this good that God has wanted. I can thus say, even in thinking of the evil, that there is a desire, actually a love of God, hidden at the bottom of it all. It is this desire or this love which we should seek. We suffer for not finding as much of it as we would like. This suffering is noble. Let us thank the good God to having placed at the bottom of our hearts as a call to him. Uh, let us thank the good God of having deposited at the bottom of our hearts a call to him and from us to him. But let us console ourselves. There is a remedy. It is true faith. It is a faith that adheres to the truths. Excuse me. There is a faith which adheres to the truths only with intelligence alone. There is another faith that adheres to the truths with the heart. The first is not sufficient. It is cold and distant, and it doesn't unite us. It leaves us far from God and empty. The second faith, the faith of the heart, fills us because it produces union. It is this true and living faith that is as though we are taking possession of God. He becomes ours. He becomes the guest, the well-beloved guest in our soul. And the soul, separated from things, no longer has to do anything except to turn to him by a loving thought to realize an intimate, uh, a, a revealed intimacy, the dreamed of revealed intimacy. We should not allow ourselves to be demolished by the small incidents of life. They are passing. Your soul is immensely greater than that. And one of its greatnesses is precisely to be able to surpass everything which is ephemeral and rejoin the eternal across everything which passes. The causes or the occasions of our sufferings are only instruments. It is necessary to see the worker who is taking advantage of them. That is always the God of love. The spirit of faith discovers this love in our suffering and illumines it. The light of love, that is to say, at the bottom, the light of the Holy Spirit, which is the light of love, that is which what gives sweetness and goodness to everything. You have this light. 
you need do no more than acquire the habit of taking advantage of it. Our daily crosses are the exercises by which the Holy Spirit develops in a soul this habit. I know that was a mouthful. This is Roy talking again. I've stopped reading. I know that it was a mouthful, but I have found it uh, tremendously, tremendously useful. And it seems to be simple logic. Simple logic. Nothing would happen if God did not positively will it or permit it. Therefore, since God is not about to will or permit anything which doesn't serve the greater good, there is a greater good at the bottom, at the root, behind every evil that we see. When we see evil, we should not stop our gaze at the evil, but we should go through it and be aware that of the greater good that God is producing by it. And we should unite ourselves with that knowledge and love of God through everything that happens, including the evil things that happen. And if we can live in that consciousness, then we will be rock solid. <laughs> we will be rock solid and we can live in a state of uh, peace rather than getting distracted by the apparent evil that we see all around us. I hope that made sense. Um, the reason I am reading this wisdom of saints is precisely because I don't have it. If I had it, I'd be speaking out of myself. Um, all I have is the knowledge that what these saints are seeing and saying is true, and it is what we should be teaching ourselves and what we should be striving for. And that's basically you know, where this is coming from, where the show is coming from, so to speak. Uh, it is, I, I omitted saying so at the beginning, I apologize, but this is a live call-in program, and I'm happy to take your calls at any point. The number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y, if you have any comments or questions. Um, I can't think of anything more important than that uh, little discussion that this Carthusian uh, just led us through. Be, uh, this Carthusian not being me, of course, but being the Carthusian behind this book, who wrote this book. Uh, because um, either, either we are living in a world... Let me put, start that sentence over again. Either our consciousness is in this passing world, or our consciousness is in the eternal world. And um, if our consciousness is in this passing world, then we're like a cork on a stormy sea. And if our consciousness is in the eternal word, then we are like a boat floating on a totally placid lake. Um, and later in the show, because I don't have it in front of me, I will, I will um, I, if I have a chance and if I remember read a passage from uh, St. Paul, from which was actually from today's Mass in the Tridentine calendar, which is his reflection on exactly this same thing, which is the secret to life is to look at what happens in this world in the light of eternity. Um, basically, 
all of our judgments, all of our interpretation shouldn't be what we see in front of us in this passing world, but we should be understanding it all from the perspective essentially of heaven or of eternity or of the eternal world world, world or of God, which kind of amount to the same thing. So that was my little introduction to Carthusian spirituality or uh, in honor of St. Bruno's feast day, which was... Um, October 6th, and now I want to uh, switch to a little Franciscan spirituality because we also had St. Francis's feast day on October 4th, so I'm making a little bit of an Oreo cookie, and after that we'll have St. Faustina, who is the vanilla cream in the middle because she's October 5th, so anyway, St. Francis. This is a a relatively long um, reading, it'll probably be a good five minutes and it is from a collection of accounts from St. Francis's life, which is known as the Little Flowers of St. Francis, which was put together um, within a generation of his death. So there are, there are stories that were put together by his followers um, in the, I don't have it in front of me, but in the 20 or 30 years after he died. So this is the uh, archetypical one of these, Little Flowers, And it is uh, called How St. Francis Taught Brother Leo That Perfect Joy Is Only in the Cross. You can see the theme of today's show, I think. But but the only way for us to be cheerful in the face of uh, this um, tsunami of crosses that is being unleashed on Western civilization right now and on many of us is to see, is to see Uh, basically God on on the other side of the crosses. So anyway, here's how St. Francis taught Brother Leo that perfect joy is only in the cross. One winter day, St. Francis was coming to St. Mary of the Angels from Perugia with Brother Leo, and the bitter cold made them suffer keenly. St. Francis called to Brother Leo, who was walking a bit ahead of him, and said, Brother Leo, even if the friars minor in every country give a great example of holiness and integrity and good edification. Nevertheless, write down and note carefully that perfect joy is not in that. And when he had walked on a bit, St. Francis called him again, saying, Brother Leo, even if a friar minor gives light to the blind, heals the paralyzed, drives out devils, gives hearing back to the deaf, makes the lame walk, and restores speech to the dumb, and what is more, brings back to life a man who has been dead for four days, right that perfect joy is not in that. And going on a bit, St. Francis cried out again in a strong voice, Brother Leo, if a friar minor knew all languages and all sciences in scripture, and if he also knew how to prophesy and how to reveal not only the future, but also the secrets of consciousness consciences and minds of others, write down and note carefully that perfect joy is not in that. And as they walked on, after a while, St. Francis called again forcefully, Brother Leo, little Lamb of God, even if a friar minor could speak with the voice of an angel, and knew the courses of the stars and the powers of herbs, and knew all about the treasures in the earth, and if he knew the qualities of birds and fishes, animals, humans, roots, trees, rocks, and waters, write down and note carefully 
the true joy is not in that. And going on a bit farther, St. Francis called again strongly, Brother Leo, even if a friar minor could preach so well that he should convert all infidels to the faith of Christ, write down that perfect joy is not there. Now when he had been talking this way for a distance of two miles, Brother Leo in great amazement asked him, Father, I beg you in God's name to tell me where perfect joy is. And St. Francis replied, When we come to St. Mary of the Angels, soaked by rain and frozen by the cold, all soiled with mud and suffering from hunger, and we ring at the gate of the place and Brother Porter comes and says angrily, Who are you? And we say, We are two of your brothers. And he contradicts us, saying, You are not telling the truth. Rather, you are two rascals who go around deceiving people and stealing what they give to the poor. Go away. And he does not open for us, but makes us stand outside in the snow and rain, cold and hungry, until night falls. Then if we endure all those insults and cruel rebuffs patiently, without being troubled and without complaining, and if we reflect humbly and charitably that that porter really knows us, and that God makes him speak against us in that way, oh, Brother Leo, write that perfect joy is there. And if we continue to knock, and the porter comes out in anger and drives us away with curses and hard blows like bothersome scoundrels, saying, Get away from here, you dirty thieves. Go to the hospital. Who do you think you are? You certainly won't eat or sleep here. And if we bear it patiently and take the insults with joy and love in our hearts, oh, Brother Leo, write that that is perfect joy. And if later, suffering intensely from hunger and the painful cold with night falling, we still knock and call and crying loudly beg them to open for us and let us come in for the love of God, and he grows still angrier and says, Those fellows are bold and shameless ruffians. I'll give them what they deserve. And he comes out with a naughty club and grasping us by the cowl, throws us onto the ground, rolling us in the mud and snow, and beats us with that club so much that he covers our bodies with wounds. If we endure all those evils and insults and blows with joy and patience, reflecting that we must accept and bear the sufferings of the blessed Christ patiently for love of him. Oh, Brother Leo, write, that is perfect joy. And now, hear the conclusion, Brother Leo. Above all the graces and gifts of the Holy Spirit which Christ gives to his friends is that of conquering oneself and willingly enduring sufferings, insults, humiliations, and hardships for the love of Christ. For we cannot glory in all those other marvelous gifts of God, as they are not ours but God's. As the Apostle says, What have you that you have not received? But we can glory in the cross of tribulations and afflictions, because that is ours. And so the Apostle says, I will not glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And so goes the little flowers of St. Francis, St. Francis, how St. Francis taught Brother Leo that perfect joy is only in the cross. So I guess, I guess with any luck, the theme of the show is emerging, which is um, basically the wisdom of the saints, wisdom of the saints, um, and what we can learn from them 
and the correct, uh, basically the correct lens through which to see our lives. That's really what it amounts to. Okay, um, so um, let's see where we are. Three twenty-two. Uh, excuse me, about twenty-two minutes after the hour. So um, let me uh, shift gears, I guess, or shift saints, and go on to Saint Faustina, who I had kind of intended and do kind of intend to be the centerpiece of the show. Uh, before I do so, let me just say that um, that uh, as I said, this is a live call-in show. And usually, uh, we have a, a break around halfway through the show, halfway through the hour, which I'm intending to do today also. And that is a particularly propitious time to call in because um, there is a break and then coming out of the break, I can, uh, I can just go to the calls. So, um, hmm. Um, so anyway, so I will start with St. Faustina and then after a few minutes, we'll be going to that break. So if you wish to call in during that break, I will go to the calls coming out of the break. Um, with that, let us shift gears to St. Faustina. Now, the, the, uh, what I am going to focus on, at least between now and the break in St. Faustina, is... <laughs> is really the bottom line about how to live life, which is um, what happens to us after we die, the four last things, in this case, heaven and hell, basically. And um, it's a little bit sobering, but I maybe I'll start with, um, maybe I'll start with uh, heaven and hell. Uh, so I'll just start, uh, I'll start, um, I'll, I'll tell you, before I read each paragraph, what paragraph I'm reading her her diary, I think you know is is uh, has the paragraphs numbered, so it's easy to look things up and refer to things. Um, and uh, boy, I'm I'm not. I, I I apologize. I'm a little bit a little bit at sea with with what's going on um, technically. Um, but anyway, okay, so I'll start with paragraph 153. St. Faustina speaking. Um, I think you all know that she was a um, saintly, by definition, none of the uh, first half of the 20th century who received the uh, apparitions or the, the visit, I don't know what the word is actually, but Jesus came to her as uh, Jesus of Divine Mercy and revealed to her the uh, Divine Mercy Chaplet and the devotion to Divine Mercy. Anyway, uh, he also revealed to her a number of other things, which is what I'll be reading from now. One day I saw two roads. One was broad, covered with sand and flowers, full of joy, music, and all sorts of pleasures. People walked along it, dancing and enjoying themselves. They reached the end without realizing it, and at the end of the road there was a horrible precipice, that is, the abyss of hell. The souls fell blindly into it as they walked, so they fell, and their number was so great that it was impossible to count them. And I saw the other road, or rather a path, for it was narrow and strewn with thorns and rocks, 
and the people who walked along it had tears in their eyes, and all kinds of suffering befell them. Some fell down upon the rocks, but stood up immediately and went on. At the end of the road there was a magnificent garden filled with all sorts of happiness, and all these souls entered there, and the very first instant they forgot all their sufferings. So this is just a very vivid vision of the broad path that leads to perdition and the narrow path strewn with thorns and sufferings that lead to eternal bliss, union with God in heaven forever. And that is, of course, I don't know if it's fair to say that's the meaning of life. It's very close to being the meaning of life is being on the right one of those paths. I will uh, read some more passages from St. Faustina that that reflect on, um, I, I prefer to reflect here on the joys of heaven, so uh, look for those passages. Now I'm reading from uh, paragraph 424. In the evening, I just about got into bed and I fell asleep immediately. Though I fell asleep quickly, I was awakened even more quickly. A little child came and woke me up. The child seemed about a year old, and I was surprised it could speak so well, as children of that age either do not speak or speak very indistinctly. The child was beautiful beyond words and resembled the child Jesus, and he said to me, Look at the sky. And when I looked at the sky, I saw the stars and the moon shining. Then the child asked me, Do you see this moon and these stars? When I said yes, he spoke these words to me. These stars are the souls of faithful Christians, and the moon is the souls of religious. Do you see how great the difference is between the light of the moon and the light of the stars? Such is the difference in heaven between the soul of a religious and the soul of a faithful Christian. And he went on to say that true greatness is in loving God and in humility. So here we see um, the next stage, which is that not only is the fundamental choice, so to speak, between heaven and hell. But even even in the striving for heaven, there is a reason to continue striving to grow in holiness. It's not just it's not just a high jump where if you get over the bar, you're over the bar, and it doesn't matter whether you clear the bar by a millimeter or by a meter. No. Um, Jesus showed St. Faustina very distinctly that the amount of um, glory, in some sense, the amount of bliss in heaven is absolutely unique with each individual. And that the, the more we grow in love and in humility and in love of God, it, during this blink of an eye between birth and death, the greater will our bliss and glory be for all eternity in heaven. And if I um, can find it quickly enough, here it is. Um, here is a paragraph um, Saint Faustina's, um, you know, that that Jesus showed to her, that addresses exactly that, which is the degrees of um, glory of the various the various degrees of glory in heaven. So I'm reading from paragraph six hundred five. O Holy Trinity, Eternal God. I thank you for allowing me to know the greatness and the various degrees of glory to which souls attain. 
Oh, what a great difference of depth in the knowledge of God there is between one degree and another. Oh, if people could only know this. Oh, my God, if I were thereby able to attain one more degree, I would gladly suffer all the torments of the martyrs put together. Truly, all those torments seem as nothing to me compared with the glory that is awaiting us for all eternity. O Lord, immerse my soul in the ocean of your divinity and grant me the grace of knowing you, for the better I know you, the more I desire you, and the more my love for you grows. I feel in my soul an unfathomable abyss which only God can fill. I lose myself in him as a drop does in the ocean. The Lord has inclined himself to my misery like a ray of the sun upon a barren and rocky desert, and yet, under the influence of his rays, my soul has become covered with greenery, flowers, and fruit, and has become a beautiful garden for his repose. So, um, uh, I'll just repeat it, I can't improve on it, but St. Faustina saw the difference of the degrees, the various degrees of glory in heaven, obviously, in some sense, among the saints, because by definition, a saint is really just somebody who's in heaven. And when she saw the difference in the degrees of glory, what was her reaction? Her reaction was, thank you for showing me this, because now I realize that I would gladly suffer all of the torments of all of the martyrs put together if by doing so I could gain one more tiny degree of glory in heaven for all eternity. So that should be our thirst also. Um, that um, <laughs> I'll, I'll go to the break in a moment. Let me, let me uh, in, just uh, finish with uh, this first half of the show with a slightly... Um, slightly uh, kind of self-referential comment, which is some of you are aware that um, that I, I was Jewish by origin and that I had a rather miraculous conversion experience that brought me into the Catholic Church. And in that experience, I saw basically how I would wish I had done everything during my life after I die. In other words, I saw my life as though I would see it after death in the presence of God, and I understood how I would wish I had done everything differently. And the center part of that experience was that I would wish that I had put all of my time and energy into doing things of value in the eyes of heaven, because, as I said earlier in the show, we are on earth for the blink of an eye. This period between birth and death is, what, at most 110 years? but we are going to be in eternity for all eternity. And we are going to be in heaven for all eternity, or we're going to be in hell for all eternity. And if we're in heaven for all eternity, the state of our beatitude in heaven is going to depend on every, every ounce of effort we put into doing things of value in the eyes of God during this short period on earth. So anyway, with that, let's go to our uh, musical break. Um, I have queued up the uh, Hail Mary in Polish in honor of St. Faustina. So um, we'll listen to that. And again, you're listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with me, your host, Roy Showman. And uh, coming out of the musical break, um, I will um, 
Um, I'll check the call board, or perhaps the uh, producer is going to have to remind me because I am not sure I'll be able to see the call board. But anyway, I'll go to the call board and take any calls that come in and then continue with readings from the saints of the past week. Um, so let's go to the Hail Mary in Polish. Zdrowaś Maryjo, łaski pełne, Pan z Tobą, błogosławionaś Ty między niewiestami i błogosławiony owoc żywota Twojego. Well, that was a little shorter than I expected, but um, I'm back, and uh, you're listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with me, your host, Roy Shoman. And in the absence of any calls that came in, I'll repeat the number. It is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. And, uh, you know, we have operators standing by to take your call. But in the absence, I will continue to read from the uh, Wisdom of the Saints of the past week, which uh, I've been reading from St. Francis and from uh, Cartesian Spirituality in honor of St. Bruno. And right now I'm on St. Faustina, whose feast day was October 5th. So uh, I will continue with some of her visions of heaven and hell, I guess. So um, let me read from uh, paragraph 777. St. Faustina, her experience. Today I was in heaven in spirit, and I saw its inconceivable beauties and the happiness that awaits us after death. I saw how all creatures give ceaseless praise and glory to God. I saw how great is happiness in God, which spreads to all creatures, making them happy, and then all the glory and praise which springs from this happiness returns to its source, and they enter into the depths of God, contemplating the inner life of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, whom they will never comprehend or fathom. This source of happiness is unchanging in its essence, but it is always new, gushing forth happiness for all creatures. Now I understand St. Paul, who said, Eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. And God has given me to understand that there is but one thing that is of infinite value in his eyes, and that is love of God. Love, love, and once again love, and nothing can compare with a single act of pure love of God. O oh my God, how I pity those people who do not believe in eternal life. How I pray for them that a ray of mercy would envelop them also, and that God would clasp them to his fatherly bosom. Wow. 
Um, and, and now paragraph 1439, also an uh, experience of the bliss of heaven. After I had gone into the refractory during the reading, my whole being found itself plunged in God. Interiorly, I saw God looking at us with great pleasure. I remained alone with the Heavenly Father. At that moment, I had a deeper knowledge of the three divine persons, whom we shall contemplate for all eternity, and after millions of years, shall discover that we have just barely begun our contemplation. Oh, how great is the mercy of God, who allows man to participate in such a high degree in his divine happiness. At the same time, what great pain pierces my heart that so many souls have spurned this happiness. And again, now uh, paragraph 1592, about the joy of heaven. During meditation, the Lord gave me knowledge of the joy of heaven and of the saints on our arrival there. They love God as the sole object of their love, but they also have a tender and heartfelt love for us. It is from the face of God that this joy flows out upon all, because we see him face to face. His face is so sweet that the soul falls anew into ecstasy. Um, And again, paragraph 1604. Aren't we privileged, by the way, Um, You know, we have not seen heaven, we have not seen hell, thank God. But um, to have these accounts from people who have, what a a grace and what a privilege. And um, uh, I know, I hope that many, we have many listeners who are non-Catholic Christians. I actually hope we have many listeners who aren't Christian at all. But um, this is certainly one of the great treasures of the Catholic Church is the wisdom and experience that experiences that come to us from the saints. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> um, anyway, continuing with St. Faustina's experience of uh, heaven. When during adoration I repeated the prayer, Holy God, several times, a vivid presence of God suddenly swept over me, and I was caught up in spirit before the majesty of God. I saw how the angels and the saints of the Lord give glory to God. The glory of God is so great that I dare not try to describe it, because I would not be able to do so, and souls might think that what I have written is all there is. St. Paul, I understand now why you did not want to describe heaven, but only said that the eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered in the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Now I have seen the way in which I adore God, oh how miserable it is, and what a tiny drop it is in comparison to that perfect heavenly glory. Okay, um, okay, I'm going to bounce back and forth. I think I'm going to bounce now to a, um, a reading, a Carthusian reading. Because I want to, on the one hand, we're trying to wrap our minds around around the greatness of God and how inconceivably wonderful he has, how, how inconceivably wonderful the future he has arranged for us is if we make the smallest effort actually to be pleasing to him. 
And, um, and I want to kind of balance that with a, um, let's say, exploration of our nothingness, right? Because all of this, all of this has to do with God. None of it has to do with anything that we merit or deserve or any worth we have in ourselves. And so I'm going to go back to a Carthusian act of faith, act of hope, and act of love. These are, these are meditations or reflections by a Carthusian on uh, basically his own act of faith in his own words, his own act of hope in his own words, his own act of love in his own words. And I think you'll see the contrast between our nothingness and God's greatness. So first of all, his act of faith. My God, I believe that you are here present in me, in my poor nothingness. If only I were only nothingness. But I have offended you, I have revolted against you, I am thus less than nothingness. The animals have not dishonored you as I have, and yet you deign to remain in me. I should be crushed, and yet I am still bloated with pride, filled with self-love. My God, despite all that, I adore you present in me. I firmly believe that you are present in me, and by your grace I wish to arrive at a faith so great and so strong that I will no longer be able to let myself be absorbed by anything but you. With the blind man in the Gospels, I will say, Lord, let me see. Make the scales fall from my eyes. Heal my blindness. Dazzle me so that by the light of your presence, I see you in all things and all things in you. That was this Carthusian's act of faith. Uh, By the way, this is from um, a book that uh, in English, I believe, is called The Prayer of Love and Silence. Uh, Now his act of hope. My God, I hope in you, you infinite goodness, who wish to make your abode in me. But how can I dare hope in you, me, the most miserable of creatures, the most soiled and ungrateful? I should say like St. Peter, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Yet no, my God, I know that you came on earth, and you said that you did not come for the just, but for sinners. That is precisely why I claim the title of sinner, and it is because I am a sinner that I hope in you. And I do not stop at a simple hope, but I have certainty that you are, that you will be, and that you abide always with me and in me, in the sense that St. Paul says, If God is for us, who will be against us? For I am sure that neither death nor life nor anything else in all creation and separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. From now on, my God, I feel sure of you, I fear nothing. The world, hell, the flesh can revolt against me. What does it matter, for you are with me? You are my Emmanuel, the God with us, my all, my God, and my all. That's one heck of an act of hope. Now his act of love. How can I say that I love you, my God, I who have so offended against you? If I think of my life as a line, it should be a straight line of pure love for you, my God, for you have created me to love you. But I see only a few separated points, few and far between, consecrated to your love. 
and more the most generous acts and the purest feelings are three-quarters consumed by vanity and self-seeking. What ingratitude towards you who have sought me with your love! But I surrender this very day, my God, and I must cry out in my turn, Lord, you have won. You died for love of me. At least I will live for love of you. And if I cannot say that I love you, I can at least say that I wish to love you. Okay, so I I can't I can't improve on those whatsoever, um, and I don't even want to paraphrase them because uh, it seems to me they are so they're so perfect. We are nothing, and God is everything, and yet, and yet He wants and requires so little of us, and we are able to give Him so little. But if we give Him what we are able to give him, then he rewards us beyond any any kind of um, of uh, anything sensible, <laughs> anything anything that we deserved or came anywhere near deserving. And um, uh, you know, the, one of the beautiful things about this act of faith, act of hope, and act of love is the the acts are out of our nothingness they're out of our incompetence they're out of our weakness they're out of our our the weakness of our faith and the weakness of our hope and the weakness of our love and they are acts of desire to have a faith that does god justice even though we know we'll never have a faith that does god justice to have an hope that does God justice, even though we know we'll never have a hope this side of heaven that does God justice, and an act of love, even though we know that we are completely incapable of loving God in a way that does him justice. One of the mo- one of the beautiful things about this Carthusian's act of love is that um, when he looks at his life, he sees only a few moments of genuine love of God, and even those few moments are compromised by his vanity and self-seeking, right? That kind of, you know, oh, wasn't that wonderful of me to to actually, you know, have that moment of love of God? And then, like a punctured balloon, there goes, you know, there goes the, 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 the virtue or the, the nobility of that love itself, because we pollute it immediately with our own vanity. And yet he's praying out of that uh, self-awareness and out of that self-knowledge so um wow no one's called so i have to continue i get to continue but i do enjoy the calls also there's still time for a call by the way if somebody wishes to call in the number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY m-a-r-y but you know what um <laughs> um since no one's calling in, I have the uh, unpleasant duty, let's say, to uh, shed a little light on the other side of the coin, which is God wishes nothing more than to give us a hundred thousand million times more than we deserve in heaven. But should we not take him up on his gracious offer, then uh, we run the risk of something quite terrible, which is hell. So let me read St. Faustina's account from her visit to hell. This is uh, paragraph 741. 
Today I was led by an angel to the chasms of hell. It is a place of great torture, how awesomely large and extensive it is. The kinds of torture that I saw, the first torture that constitutes hell, is the loss of God. The second is perpetual remorse of conscience. The third is that one's condition will never change. The fourth is the fire that will penetrate the soul without destroying it, a terrible suffering, since it is a purely spiritual fire lit by God's anger. The fifth torture is continual darkness and a terrible suffocating smell, and despite the darkness, the devils and the souls of the damned see each other in all the evil, both of others and their own. The sixth torture is the constant company of Satan. The seventh torture is horrible despair, hatred of God, vile words, curses, and blasphemies. Uh, well, I think we've just been released by hell, from hell for a moment by a caller. Um, so, do we have a caller on the line? Uh, would you like to give your name and where you're calling from? Hello, uh, Mr. Showman. It's Lou Iacobelli calling you from Toronto, Canada. Hi. Well, thanks for listening. Did you have a comment or a question? I just want to say you're doing a good job, and God knows that we need, you know, a Catholic voice, uh, uh, not only on the radio, but on, the, on, on every media platform. Uh, we've got a wonderful, wonderful story to tell about our Savior, our redemption, and sadly, you know, we're not getting that from the Vatican, we're not getting that from our shepherds, and uh, as you know, you've said this in many of your programs, we're under attack in so many different ways. So my uh, my prayers go out to you, and keep up the good work. Wow. Well, thank you so much, and thanks for that vote of confidence. And and uh, of course, it's you know I'm just in front of a microphone, so it's always nice to know that that it matters. So I'm I'm very grateful for that. Thank you so much. Well, and, my wife um, has you on every day. Uh, I hear you praying the rosary, the the you know the chaplet, and uh, we need that voice of hope that voice of love, and uh, that we are redeemed. Uh, amen. Amen. Thank you. And I'll go back to the, the very first thing that I talked about today, which is, um, I think it's a brilliant trick that that Carthusian introduced, which is, remember, because there is a tremendous amount of evil out there, and, and we, I've, I mean, I'm pretty old, and I've never seen so much... Um, wickedness displayed by people in high places, uh, malevolence. Um, it's, it's absolutely incredible by people who we've given authority to. And, um, uh, but that's not, that's not the true story. The true story is that's all permitted and willed by God for the greater good. And it's all part of God's plan. And underneath it, we should be uh, worshiping and appreciating God's uh, omnipotence and his uh, having uh, frankly everything totally under control, and so if I can if I can put a you know just add a drop of that um, to the public consciousness, I'm very grateful. Um, and I, I do these shows, by the way, to remind myself. <laughs> so anyway, um, anyway, thank you so much for that call. Um, let me go back to hell <laughs> in our remaining two minutes, um, because I want to get to the bottom line here. The last last sentence of St. Faustina here. Anyway, thank you very much for your call and for watching and for listening. Um, 
Okay. The seventh torture is horrible despair, hatred of God, vile words, curses, and blasphemies. These are the tortures suffered by all the damned together, but that is not the end of the sufferings. There are special tortures destined for particular souls. These are the torments of the senses. Each soul undergoes terrible and indescribable sufferings related to the manner in which it has sinned. There are caverns and pits of torture where one form of agony differs from another. I would have died at the very sight of these tortures if the omnipotence of God had not supported me. Let the sinner know that he will be tortured throughout all eternity in those senses which he made made use of to sin. I am writing this at the command of God so that no soul may find an excuse by saying there's no hell or that nobody has ever been there and so no one can say what it is like. I, Sister Faustina, by the order of God, has, has, have visited the abysses of hell so that I might tell souls about it and testify to its existence. I cannot speak about it now, but I have received a command from God to leave it in writing. Um, uh, I'll continue, actually. The devils were full of hatred for me, but they had to obey me at the command of God. What I have written is but a pale shadow of the things I saw. But I noticed one thing, that most of the souls there are those who did not believe that there is a hell. When I came to, I could hardly recover from the fright. Consequently, I pray even more fervently for the conversion of sinners. I incessantly plead God's mercy upon them. O my Jesus, I would rather be in agony until the end of the world amidst the greatest sufferings than offend you by the least sin. So there we have, there we have our beautiful faith in a nutshell. Uh, We have heaven waiting for us. We have the um, danger of hell waiting for us. And um, uh, once we've taken care of ourselves, so, so to speak, if we ever do take care of ourselves, then we have the great gift we can do for all of humanity and for God by steering other people onto the right path, steering them away from the road to hell and onto the road to heaven because God created every single human soul to enjoy his love for all eternity with him in heaven. And um, he can't do that all by himself. He needs us to pray for the conversion of sinners and he needs us to interact with sinners and essentially evangelize them and try to redirect them to the right path. So uh, that is the quick start manual for the meaning of life on earth. And uh, it comes from the saints. So thank you very much for letting me share some of this uh, quick start manual from the saints with you today. Um, as I started said at the beginning of the show, we've had in the past week St. Therese of Lisieux, um, St. Francis, St. Faustina, St. Bruno, and by extension, the Carthusian spirituality. And uh, what better way is there to know what is important in this life than to follow the advice of these saints? So with that, you've been listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with me, your host, Roy Showman. And I just invite you to listen again next week, same time, same place, And I will go out with, again, the, in honor of St. Faustina, the, uh, the Hail Mary in Polish. And I hope you come again next week. Bye for now.
Amen. Mm-hmm.